I'm a professor, right? Every coach here is a professor. Uh, I'm just different in that I use a field and a soccer ball to impart lessons that's going to benefit you and your life and your development. I've been out in Italy. Things been getting kind of crazy. Yeah, I still call you my baby. I ain't hear from you lately. about to hear is my conversation with Shabazz. His full name is Lumumba Shabazz, but I call him Shabazz. He was my youth soccer coach from, and I'm guessing here, probably the age of 10 to the age of 14 or 15. He was my coach for a very, very long time. And he was a really, really important person in my life. He was basically a second father. And he was he was a second father for almost everyone on the team. Um, when I think back to that Strike Force team, that was the name of our team, we really just loved him and we respected him. And he was he was so wise and he was so kind. And we all gravitated toward him. And in the past year, we've been able to reconnect. I uh, connected with him on Instagram and we've been chatting back and forth. And I decided that I wanted to have him on the podcast just to be able to talk to him and catch up and capture some of his wisdom on audio so that not only could I have it forever, but I could share it with other people. And that's what we did today. And that's what you're about to hear. Shabazz is the head men's soccer coach at Kalamazoo College in Michigan. And we started this conversation by delving into what's going on with the team and this season. Um, Then we started to talk about kind of his philosophy um, and how he has decided to build the program. What are the things that are important to him? We talk about character as being the engine of success. We talk about consistency. And later in the conversation, we move away from soccer and we start to talk about music and a little bit of Shabazz's backstory and why music and acting and singing is just such a big part of his life, not only for him, but for his daughter and his wife. And then later in the conversation, we get into what I consider to be the meat of what Shabazz really had to offer. We talk about advice for young people who feel like they're in limbo. We talk about advice for people who are trying to learn to care less about other people's opinions. And I was able to ask him the question that I really wanted to ask him from the beginning, which is this concept of never getting too high and never getting too low. This is something that Shabazz used to say very often to the Strike Force team and to me in particular, never get too high when you win, never get too low when you lose. And at the time, it never really resonated, but it resonates with me very deeply now. And I was able to ask him about it and get his perspective on it. And I was really, really glad that I was able to have that opportunity. Before we jump in, I do need to add one caveat. For whatever reason, my AirPods decided not to work as effectively as they usually do when I record podcast interviews. And they produce this really, really annoying echo effect every once in a while when I ask a question. Not to worry, Shabazz sounds great the entire conversation and he takes up most of the audio. Um, But every so often for five to 10 seconds, there's going to be kind of an annoying echo effect that I couldn't remove in post-production. And I apologize for that, but it definitely doesn't detract from what was an amazing conversation with one of my favorite people. Let's jump in. 
All right, coach. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this, especially on such short notice. I'd love to start with practice today. Give us in the audience some context on what life is like for you right now. What were you guys working on? Are you mid-season? Like what's going on for you? Well, we're, we're actually at, at the mid-season juncture. Uh, we're, we're deep into the conference play at the moment. Well, not so much deep. We're still at the, the beginning fringes of it, so to speak. We've only played two games, but with the collegiate season, you know, uh, it, these games, they, they come really fast. I mean, you play two games a week, one midweek and one on the weekend. And so pretty much all of conference play would be done here uh, by the end of October. So uh, our last game, we played whole college, very good school, very good program, soccer program that they have there. It's, it's storied, uh, the, the, the rivals in some sense. Uh, and we played them. Uh, and we really should have won the game. We really should have won the game. Uh, we created enough chances, but we just weren't clinical enough with our finishing. And so today in practice, we spent a lot of time working on uh, attacking patterns, attacking runs, and finishing in the final third, which is, is, is probably one of the most difficult things to do in, in soccer. Uh, but we spent a lot of time just trying to, to choreograph uh, some movements which will better aid our decision making and then give us a lot of repetitions in, in pressure situations, finishing from all angles, because I think if we could do that more effectively, then uh, we'd, we'd win far more games. Uh, right now, we, we, we actually were 6-2-2, two two, which is, is actually pretty good. Uh, but being perfectionists, we always feel that there, there are a couple of games that we lost that we should not have. So we spent a lot of time just really addressing that today. So talk to me about this word you used clinical, you know, of all the soccer teams I've been on, the ones that had potential, but never really made it to a championship level were teams that were just never able to finish. Um, and, and thinking about some of the teams that I've been on, you know, I regret that so much. So talk to me about what training was like today. Like, how do you, after a loss, especially against a rival, really get your team to refocus and get really back down to the basics? Well, we, we have a process here where we, we, we try not to get too invested in, in losses, nor victories. Uh, this year, we, we like I said, we, we were 6-2-2, two two, so we won quite a few games. But even after those games, I try to keep my comments very short. I pretty much say, good job, guys. Uh, we dissect uh, the game, the film, and everything else tomorrow. Have a great night. And after losses, my process is pretty much the same. All right, guys, uh, have a great night. Make sure you study, eat, hydrate. Uh, we dissect the game, and we'll take the lessons and move forward. So we, we, I don't allow myself nor the team to invest too much emotionally. We try to create some distance uh, from the result of the game and try to focus more on the process. Uh, we figure that if, if we can do the things that we need to do in order to ensure a victory, then you don't have to worry about the victory in, in and of itself, uh, because I think that creates an undue pressure. Uh, but the second part of your question, when you when you, you asked about it, though, it, scoring goals in soccer is one of the hardest things to do. Yep. It is the sole objective of every team uh, to get out there to, to play on, 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 on game day. Uh, and so if, if you organize the score, then the opponent, their, their sole uh, purpose then is, is to disrupt your plans, right? So 
you, you're trying to train a team to 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 be composed in in critical moments, to not panic, uh, to not feel pressured, and at the same time, the opponent is trying to ramp all of that up in the opposite direction. So it's about really putting our players into into these situations over and over again until it becomes something is, is, is not only is it repetitive but it becomes second nature it becomes part of their muscle memory so that when they find themselves in those particular situations in games they don't panic they don't feel pressured they don't feel anxious they can look up calmly and place the ball into the back of the net and uh, talk to me how does training during the that. season how does training during how does training during the season differ from training before the season starts? You know, there's so many games you guys are playing twice a week, once on weekends. These are college students, so they have classes going on. How do you? How is training different during the season than before? It's, it's, I'll tell you what, though, it's, it's very very difficult. Uh, the current collegiate model, the format by which we we, we play on this NCAA format, doesn't really lend itself to 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 really a quality soccer development. It just does not. Uh, in season, you have a game every three days, right? Uh, the way that we play, and most other teams play, I mean, there's quite a lot of running involved in it, high-intensity runs that's involved in your action. It's going to take uh, uh, the average player who's played 90 minutes, probably somewhere between 48 to 56 hours, just to re- fully recover from each match that they play. 48 to 56 hours, right? Uh, obviously, when you got to turn around and play on every three days, you just don't have the luxury of, of that. So then our training sessions uh, are really based around rest and recovery and a lot of tactical in, uh, uh, type of instruction that we could we could use either some video for it or we do some tactical walkthroughs. But I, imagine I played on today's Monday. I played... Uh, on Saturday, it was a very tough game, a lot of hard running in it. So the players were shattered. Most of my players who played 90 minutes are still carrying fatigue today. If you see those guys and you ask them how it feels, their bodies are still hurt, muscles are still sore. And so we know from research that the vast majority of injuries that happen happen as a result of an accumulation of fatigue. And so the session today, half of the team that pretty much played most of the minutes. I, I had to segment them with an assistant coach and send them on a rest and recovery program. And then many of the substitutes who didn't play a great deal of minutes, maybe eight of those guys, I put them in a session that involved uh, some of the, the, the finishing and, and, and working attacking patterns in the final third. So it's, it's very difficult to, to, to actualize a plan. I think the teams that have a great deal of depth the teams that that really have players who came in uh, fit from uh, the summer workouts are the teams that would generally have an advantage because you you just don't have the luxury of being able to teach and train the players the way you want to when you're playing a game every two to three days. It's impossible. And so talk to me about some of the recovery that you put your team through in terms of sleep, in terms of hydration, what they eat. Like, what is your protocol? What do you make sure that your your team is doing in between those games? Well, uh, well, obviously, uh, re- recovery for us starts immediately after uh, every game, immediately after every game. Within 30 minutes of, of the game, we make sure the players uh, uh, have some protein in their system. Uh, make sure they have some carbohydrates, make sure they have some food in there. I mean, within 30 minutes, we're pretty religious about that. 
right? Because we want to 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 activate their their bodies and, and and get them started on that process of just just replenishment very very quickly. We we don't want them to sit and get into a state where the body just drops into a state of what I might even call extra fatigue. So we'll stave that off very quickly. Uh, that would be followed by probably a next day of some type of, of active recovery strategies, whether it's ice baths, whether it's uh, dynamic uh, stretches based off of a slow, steady state run, some dynamic stretching. Sometimes we may even make uh, a recovery. So we got different types of recovery sessions, right? We may have one where we take the players off the field completely. Uh, and, and it would depend on a number of external factors, where they are in terms of the academic schedule, uh, where they are in terms of, of just their own personal development. Uh, so that would differ for each player. So, so for younger players who just come into the team, freshmen who come into the team and find the intensity of play and the frequency of play just too much for them to deal with, they, they might be afforded more rest than maybe a veteran player who's gone through this for two or three years and, and, and are quite acclimated to that process. Uh, sometimes recovery for us would engage uh, would, would 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 involve some some level of mindfulness meditation. We do that quite a bit here. The players like it quite a lot because they feel really relaxed. And and we always attach some mindfulness meditation. Uh, we always attach that to some deep breathing exercises, which is 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 again the players like that quite a bit, and they they feel uh, uh, that it benefits them in in, in so many ways. Uh, we also do. I may actually have a, a system where right, we would just call it recovering the brain, where maybe like right now we're in a period where we're close to, to, to mid part of our conference. The players are also involved in midterm exams uh, and then all of the normal everyday stresses that they got to put up with means that it's impacting their sleep, it's impacting how they eat, it's impacting when they drink, how they train. And so I always try to put some strategies in place where they can have a counselor in the school that they can go talk to when they feel overwhelmed. Uh, some days I may take them off the field completely and do a, a fun uh, activity with them because they may just be completely stressed out and just need time away from the field. Uh, so I just really try to get a feel for it, a feel for them. And generally I ask them to, and they, they're pretty honest about this team that I have. They don't shirk their responsibility on the field. So if they tell me they're tired, or they just feel like they need a day, then I know they need it. You know what I mean? Tell me about Tell that. Me how about do you that? create the create honesty, honesty or the relationship where players feel comfortable enough with you to be honest with you and tell you like, hey, coach, I just don't feel up to it today, especially in a situation where maybe they're competing for playing time or they don't feel like they've been playing their best? Uh, well, you know, I think that comes with, with a coach really trying to establish and trust uh, between a player and himself or herself first. I mean, in, in my own regard, I, I think when a coach shows vulnerability or a coach expresses to the players that, listen, I don't know it all and, and I'm relying on you for information that can help me make you better, then I, I think it's easier to establish buying in that process. So, I mean, I, I'm a quite accomplished coach. you got all types of degrees and, and certificates under my name. But I think one of the, the my best qualities is, is the ability to to listen to the players, just just truly listen to them, let them know that at the end of the day, I'm, I'm their biggest advocate and I'm on their side, right? Uh, especially in this academic environment that we're in. Uh, 
And I think once they know that they're fundamentally at the end of the day that I have their back no matter what, then they they also feel it's easy for them to to, to kind of reciprocate that that relationship, you know, and not abuse it, right? I mean, I've been here, gone seven, gone on eight years, and I've always had a policy. And, and I'm at Kalamazoo College. Kalamazoo College is is a very elite academic institution. It's not the kind of place you'll come to and shirk your responsibilities in the classroom. It just don't allow for that. Uh, the curriculum is too rigorous and the expectations are too high for something like that to happen. So I've always asked my players to be brutally honest when it comes to how they're feeling. And I said, listen, if you feel, for instance, that we have practice from six to eight and you felt that I have an exam tomorrow that I really need to study for. I just don't grasp the material and I really need to just spend extra time in there. You can feel free to come to me and say, coach, can I have this time off? And in seven going on eight years, I've never said no to a player doing that. And up till now, we've never had any player abuse that. Which for us is, is huge. I always tell them, I say, listen, you, you can't act, nobody should ask me for time. And then I look and I see you walking across the campus grounds, holding hands with your girlfriend, whispering sweet nothing in the air, right? If you say you're going to study, it's because you are going to study and I'm going to trust you at that. And, and the players have been really good. Nobody's really abused that at all. So we've never really had an issue with it, quite honestly. Got you. So tell me, you've been at Kalamazoo seven to eight years. Tell me about some of the the major accomplishments you've had. And then tell me about some of the biggest losses or some of the biggest disappointments you've had over the years. Well, the biggest accomplishments, obviously, with, with, with I mean, I always have to, to kind of categorize that in, in, in two ways, right? Obviously, my chief aim here as, as a coach is, is, is I use, I always say that I'm a professor, right? Every coach here is a professor. Uh, I'm just different in that I use a field and a soccer ball to impart lessons that's going to benefit you and your life and your development, right? So that's the only difference between me and your biology professor, your math professor, your computer science professor, is that I use a ball and a soccer field to help you develop traits, characteristics, behaviors that will help you as you you progress from, from being a freshman here through a senior, through somebody that could go out into the wider world and have an impact. Uh, and so many of the successes I've had have, have not involved so much the, the playing aspect of it, but seeing many of the players go on and achieve some really special things. I mean, I've been here long enough now to see some of my players just graduate through med school and become doctors in their own right, or lawyers in their own right, or business owners in their own right, and fathers and husbands in their own right. Uh, those things mean far more to me than, than what happens on the field. And I mean, I used to feel differently many years ago. But as I get older, I, I think I've gained a better understanding and appreciation for the things that are truly important. And and so that connection, that 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 ability to to see uh, my former players come in with their families and to see them achieving different things, I feel so happy because at the end of the day, I remember them in the refreshment just walking through the door and, and they seem so uncertain and unclear about the direction they want to head in. And then to see them just develop a sense of identity and a sense of purpose. That's that's the best thing. That's that's true winning, right? Obviously, in in soccer terms, uh, we've had some successes here. We've lost a couple of times now in the conference final. Uh, this year, we were ranked twenty uh, fourth in the nation. So I mean, out of two hundred and fifty programs in the country, are ranked twenty fourth. Uh, we've now dropped out of the poll again, but I'm not too worried about that because I think the players 
the capabilities that they have, the attitude that they have mean that we, we're going to be one of those teams that's going to figure in the national polls for some time to come now. And I'm excited about that. Uh, obviously, the fact that we haven't won a conference yet uh, in seven or eight years is, is, is one of the things that grates at me because every year we work really hard and diligently about either recruiting the right student athletes or putting the right training processes in place and approaches in place to, to help us get to that. But it takes much more than that sometimes, quite honestly. And so uh, being competitive, I, I want to be up there. I'd like to be the number one school. But uh, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. What? What do you think what might you think be missing? missing? What does a conference champion have that a team, everyone else in the conference doesn't have? What do you think might be missing? Well, I, I tell you what, though. What the conference champs have had is they've had a recent legacy of success, and I think it's been easier to build on that, right? When I came here to Kalamazoo uh, seven, almost eight years now, uh, K was not uh, – we did not have a full-time program. So I was the first full-time coach since 2002 here, when most of the other programs in our conference had already been full-time programs with established coaches in there. So they've had a many years uh, of, of just kind of mining the recruiting fields, of setting uh, a program in place. When I came here, I, I almost had to build it uh, from scratch again. I mean, Hardy Fuchs, who was our longtime coach here, when he retired in 2002, I mean, he was a fantastic coach and had the programs firing at the national level and, and accomplishing some great things. But between 2002 and 2012, 13, when I came in, none of that was in place. I mean, we just didn't have the infrastructure nor the kind of institutional support to, to, to kind of really challenge for anything. And so many of the players who came here really didn't have a, an opportunity to win or succeed in the game the way that they would want to. And so at 2012, when I first came here, uh, we were forecasted to finish last in the league, and we didn't. We finished uh, second or third, if I remember correctly. And and since then, we've been we've been steadily building and building and building. And then last year, we had it's my worst year since we've been here, where we finished fifth in the league, uh, which for us was unacceptable. But we also had at times nine, eight, nine freshmen starting games. Uh, this year, we have a better balance throughout the squad, and 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 we 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 believe, and and I think you'll soon see that we'll be one of those teams that will challenge for it. So it's it's it's, it's been a process of us just trying to work our way there. And I mean, nobody wants to make excuses, but I'm also in the number one academic institution in the state of Michigan. So <laughs> I, I need to get student athletes who are very very good at playing soccer, but also who have the academic credentials, the academic credentials to come to a place like Kalamazoo uh, College and, and and prosper as a student. And, and I mean, lastly, we're also the most expensive school in, in the state of Michigan. So, I mean, all of those are, are tough things to, to have to recruit. When, 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 you, when you think about it, I mean, Kay has a wonderful profile that things that we've been able to do for student athletes, uh, students in general, is just fantastic. There's not too many schools that can mirror that, but it's still, it becomes very difficult to recruit when you have people all around you that can, that can say, listen, you could come to school at a, for, for much cheaper than you can go to Kay. It makes it that much harder. You know what I mean? Talk to me when you're having those meetings with potential recruits. What is your pitch like? Like, what are you telling them? What What are you saying to them to convince them to come to K? Oh, I sell it. I sell the academics at the school because at the end of the day, this is is I'm I'm not involved in professional soccer. My job is to is 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 to use 
uh, collegiate soccer as a means of helping these young people achieve their their their, their real goals in life. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's easy for me to spell out what a degree from Kalamazoo College can do for you, what an experience from Kalamazoo College can do for you, what study abroad from Kalamazoo College can do for you. Uh, so I talk about the uh, academics, obviously. I talk about the, the fact that we have very small classroom sizes, and so your, your ability to connect with your professors and create networking and real relationships that, that will help you as you transition from this environment to the wider world it's massive. I talk about our alumni connections and 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 how many of our alums are, are wonderfully placed in industries across the country and across the world, and and they do a fantastic job of reaching back and providing avenues for for many of our current players to to kind of step into. So, I mean, if you're serious about your future, you're serious about uh, uh, becoming, like I say, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, all of these things. If you're serious about, if you have that passion for, for life, then case an easy choice because we do those things quite well. Uh, and so I, I, I will talk about that, obviously, as, as, as one of my main pillars. I'll talk about uh, the winning as far as, as character is involved. Uh, I, I think that that I've, I've probably evolved into to becoming a, a really good uh, developer of character, a mentor, so to speak. Uh, and, and I view my role as that, and my role is to really help my young people, my young men, uh, uh, find easy ways to navigate through the challenges, uh, the impediments, and the obstacles that they're going to face. And and I feel quite comfortable with that. I feel happy to do it, and, and I think my players feel comfortable with me helping them to uh, to navigate these challenges Uh and, and it becomes even easier when when you put the soccer part in there because we're also known as one of those schools that, that will play a, an attractive brand of soccer. We have a great set of facilities. Uh, and, and and as a coach that's, that's well accomplished in the game, you come here, you develop as a player as well. So it's, it's win-win all the way across the board. So let's talk about building character. About building character. You character. talked about yourself as a professor. professor. What does your curriculum does your look curriculum? like? What are some of the important concepts that you want to impart to your players over the course of their four years at K? Well, I, we have a saying here. We say character is the engine that drives it all. Character is the engine that drives it all. So I think in the first part of that, though, is, is really identifying people who have some of the necessary character traits that we think is important for us to have in a team. That's that's the most important part, because then it's easy to build on what they already have on that existing base, rather than find somebody uh, who don't have those traits, characteristics, or even that belief system, and then try to to change them. I, it, I think it's very difficult to change somebody who doesn't want to be changed. So we focus a lot on recruiting young people here who have excellent characters, who believe in 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 being on time, in in operating from a, a stand on a standpoint of of integrity, of being disciplined in their approach. Uh, all of these things that that we would ask them to do in in in, in the team setting are teams that uh, things that when I evaluate them as student athletes, when I evaluate them as potential recruits, those are the things I look for. So obviously, I think it's easy to see the soccer talent. It's easy to tell whether this kid could play, what he can't play. Uh, what I always fixate on quite a bit is I, 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 I always spend a lot of time trying to, to 
to learn, decipher, and kind of discover who this potential student athlete really is, what makes them tick. And then once I get an inkling of that, it, it tells me whether or not is whether is they're the type of person that I want to bring into my environment. And then once we bring them into the environment, then we start to, to really work on them concretely in ways that that I think would benefit them in the long run. So firstly, you come here, we'd actually be on time, right? We'd actually be in uniform. We'd actually, if you can't show up to reach out beforehand and don't text, you call, or you come face to face, right? Because these are all expectations that once you leave here and you get out in the wider world, you have a job with real responsibilities. These are things that you got to practice and you got to do all the time. We actually, if you say you're going to be someplace, then you be there. So you got to be a person of your word. We actually have integrity with it. We actually manage your, your behavior in social environments when you're outside of the team function. So who you hang out with? Yeah. Are they drinking? Are they smoking? Are they involved in activities that's going to shine a negative light on our team? We, we actually make all of these type of decisions. So we place a lot of responsibility uh, on the student, uh, the student athlete. We place a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. And we say, listen, you're going to be faced with a lot of temptation. You're going to be faced with a lot of different things that, that people will be pulling at you in different directions. And we ask you to make the right decision at all times. And it's, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. But for the most part, I think our young people have done a fantastic job of, of just learning how to navigate that. And I think this is just soccer here, the university, the college here. This is just a precursor. Right. This is just a precursor for what's going to happen when you step out into the wider world four years from now after you graduate, because you're going to have to deal with distractions. You're going to have to deal with uh, uh, handling relationships, whether it's personal relationships or, or work relationships, professional relationships. You're going to have to deal with all of these things. You're going to have to be on time for your job. You're going to have to, you're going to have to have integrity on your job. You're going to have to be disciplined in your approach. You're going to be after to be fastidious in your, in your, in your work ethic. All of these things that, that we're asking them to do now, and so that's a big part of the culture of what we do, right? We actually just stand by it. If you say, listen, you know what? This is a dry season for us. We're not going to drink. We expect you to kind of uh, uh, walk in that light. We don't expect you to say one thing and then do something completely different. So those, when we, you talk about character building, those are the things that we help on quite a bit because that's what they face in this immediate environment. Talk to me about some of your favorite players ever who have come through K and graduated. Talk to me about what they were like on the field. Like, how did their character manifest on the soccer field? Ooh, we've had some great players this this come through here. Uh, some really good players. We had a young man here a couple of years ago. His name was Jared Georgiakopoulos. Uh, Jared played the game at an intensity and with a fury in every single second. I love that approach. I, I think it's, it's one of the hardest things to do is, is to show up and be ready every single time and every single minute of a game. And, and he kind of typified that approach. He typified approach. And he always had a, a little chip on his shoulder when he felt that other people were given less than, than they should give or less than was required. And so as a captain, he always played at a very, very high level and held everybody else to that standard. So that's why that team that he goes on achieved quite a bit. So he, he was very special to be around. And at the same time, he carried this intensity. The second he stepped off, he was always a very loving person. 
and, and it's not something probably not a description that you expect to hear a coach describe a player uh, in, in that sense. But Jared is one of those persons. Every time he comes back to homecoming now, everybody else will walk up and come shake my hand and this dude will come pick me up in a beer hug and just <laughs> hug me. And I'm like, dude, seriously. And I'm not, I'm not a small guy, right? This guy will pick you up in a beer hug and hug you and kiss you. And I'm like, dude, seriously, come on. <laughs> but, but that's the type of character that he is, right? Uh, we've had a next young man here. We've had so many of them, and it's almost unfair to, to just pick out just one or two guys. But we had a next young man here who is his name is uh, Dane McDonald, who's a goalkeeper for us. He was probably one of the single best leaders that I've seen. I mean, he, he has an immense character in terms that he, people followed him simply because they believed in him. Uh, and he was a fantastic goalkeeper, fantastic goalkeeper with an extremely high work rate. Uh, and he was very good. Then we had another goalkeeper that followed immediately behind him that was built pretty much the same way. I mean, they were cut from exactly the same cloth. Uh, his name is Beaupre, Bo, Dr. Beaupre now. Uh, he was a tremendous, tremendous goalkeeper. I mean, he would make some saves that I, I was almost certain the ball was destined for the back of the net. And I'm not sure how exactly he would get from one corner of the goal to the other, but he'd get there. Uh, we had another one, uh, Griffin Hamill, was another goalkeeper. We seem to, to strike a, a bit of a goal mine with goalkeepers here at K. He was also fantastic. Uh on my current, oh, we had another young man here, Jonathan Nord, who's now at uh, University of, of uh, Michigan's uh, sports management programs and their master's program. He is probably the most selfless, most kind person I have ever met as a student. I mean, it's just incredibly, incredibly kind. Uh, I remember once when I was coaching a semi professional team. Uh, it took away an opportunity for my current players to play on that roster. And he was one of the players that would have benefited had I not coached that team. Uh, but that kid showed up every day. First of all, he congratulated me when I took the job. He was happy that I took it. He felt that I should have taken it. And then he showed up and volunteered and work at the gates and clean up for that team for the entire summer. He showed up early and leave late. And he did that over and over and over again. I mean, when, when, when he left here and he left for, for U of M, I almost cried because it, people like that, I just enjoy being around because they're such wonderful, wonderful people that, that you miss them. Right. So it's, it's funny because we always say that coaches have an impact on their players. Uh, and sometimes we rarely ever uh, uh, think about, what we as coaches learn from our players and, and from individuals like those guys and some of the ladies that have also managed to coach, I've learned quite a bit. I've learned quite a bit. You know, that last story made me think about consistency. Um, when I was playing for you, one of the pieces of advice you always had for me was that I was too inconsistent. I would play well some games, then I would play poorly some games, and there was too much of a gap in between. Talk to me about consistency and how you train consistency into your players and why it's so important? Well, because I'll be honest with you, it's one of the hardest things to to, to get across, man, because I, I think a lot of times, uh, 
I think what we as coaches can do is, is provide an environment where the player feels comfortable to keep trying uh, and not feel ashamed to try again. Because I think if, if they feel that they have our support in terms of of, of, of of making mistakes and just wiping it off and going again, I think if on the other side of that is the consistency that's needed to really succeed in the game. But you, you have to go through, you have to battle through mistakes. You, you've got to, to battle through uh, uh, lack of focus and lack of concentration at times and a lack of attention to details and poor technique and, and all of these things. But that's a process. A lot of people don't have the courage nor the strength or just the, the, the discipline to work through those type of details because most of us at some point, I know with young players sometimes feel ashamed, right? If they, they're working on a particular skill, and it, it, they're not doing it the way that they it, it should be done. They feel everybody else is watching them. And sometimes it's easy to just kind of retreat into a shell and, and not want to try again because you don't want to be looked at. You don't want to be scrutinized. So I think the best thing that we as coaches can do is just provide an environment where we say, yo, it's okay to fail. Just keep going and keep going and keep going. Uh, and then the, the second part of that, though, I, I think then it, it, realize, it, it really falls on the player. Right, because the player then has to have that that kind of mental constitution, that 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 that, that rigidness of, of of mentality to say, you know what, a resilience of mentality. Say, I'm just not going to quit. I'm going to keep going and going and going until I get it. Because I think re- repetition, right, perfect repetition, builds the kind of consistency that's necessary to really succeed. Right. The, the reason why we're able to, to, to do a particular skill over and over again is because we spend countless times doing it. So it's like my daughter who plays piano. Right. When she's playing a piece by by Beethoven or she's playing a piece by Puccini or or, 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 or any one of the other great composers, she has to spend a great deal of time working and perfecting that piece. And she has to work through the mistakes of it. She's got to make th- work through her hesitancy. She's got to work through her doubts, her fears, uncertainties, all the anxieties. And ultimately, when she starts getting to it, the, the sound itself will become to become more consistent. You hear less mistakes in it. But that's a process. And, and so... For the young players, I have a saying, I said, with young players, the only consistency is inconsistency. Sometimes that comes with the terrain. That's a normal part of the game. That's a normal part of development, right? So with younger players, you can expect that we, we may not want it. We may, we, we may ask them to, and we can challenge them to, uh, to, to take it to another level in terms of, of how they apply themselves. But with older players, we, we're probably sometimes a little less forgiven. And we ask them to be better in terms of their execution, better in terms of their focus, better in terms of their discipline. But like with you guys, when you were much younger, what I was really trying to do was just to challenge you guys to do work off the field. You know, and so when I challenge you guys like that, it was always an opportunity for you guys to just walk away from the game and say, you know what, I'm going to show this guy. I'm going to put extra time to this and come back and prove it. And you guys, for the most part, did that over and over again. That's why the team that we had was so good. Yeah. I mean, when I think back, you know, I started dancing in college and I just feel like I'm so much more consistent and I work so much harder than I did when I was younger. And I just wish I could have transplanted that back because consistency is absolutely what I rely on now, you know, in terms of creating social media content and the podcast and my own dancing. It's, It's what I rely on to continue getting better each and every day. 
Yeah, but you also got to forgive yourself too, because again, I, I think with young people, the only consistency, the only consistency is inconsistency. I think that's a, a necessary part of development. It's a necessary part of development. There is, there's no way around it. In order to become a, a master of any particular skill, you have to go through an apprenticeship stage. And the apprenticeship stage, the apprenticeship uh, stage is, is is shaped by working through those periods of inconsistency and learning to develop the kind of traits and behaviors that's going to help you to, to 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 take that skill to to the next level. You know, uh, but but there's there's no. It's almost like when you again. I, I keep drawing reference to the piano because I think it's, it's it really it, it makes sense when when you start playing piano, right? There's an enthusiasm that you would have when you just well any instrument you you just learning the instrument. There's an enthusiasm that you have that 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 it it feel everything would come to you easy in those initial phases because the excitement of that, the passion of that drives you. Now at at some point. That initial feeling, that passion wears away. And at that, the same time that's wearing away, that's when the, the part of the instrument that you learn becomes a bit more difficult. It becomes more difficult than, 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 than at other times. So it's, it's at that point, you, you, you've gone past the stage of being passionate about it. And where you got to go into the deeper recesses of yourself and really apply yourself in a real concrete way that demands discipline, that demands focus, that demands all of these different things that would challenge the heck out of most people, right? And so with you guys in, in the soccer sense, when I first had you guys as, as young players, you guys were so much fun to be around because you guys never wanted practice to end. You worked and worked and worked and worked and you achieve a lot of success as a result. As we start moving up the ladder though, the games changed. It became more difficult. As the game, we moved from 7v7 to 9v9 to 11v11. The complexity of the game grew. The opponent strategies grew. And so now you just couldn't rely on just the, the sense of passion that you have. Now it's a real concrete learning effort and approach that you had to take to, to, to really taking the game to the next level. Now you had to study the game. Now you've got to work uh, uh, a bit more extra. You got to work throughout your summer and come back ready. Those are the demands that the game are placing on you guys. And at the same time, all of these demands are being placed on you. You've got to worry about school. You've got to worry about family vacations. You've got to worry about all of these different things impacting on that. And when you're younger, it's really hard to balance all of those things out. That's why I say inconsistency is just a normal, natural part of the process. Whereby when you're older, we expect that you would have developed all of these tools already. So then you could you could step out and 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 then say okay I I understand I have all of these things impacting me but now I'm able to prioritize I'm able to 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 have put a strategy in place where I can execute all of these things and it just don't infringe on my ability to be really as good as I think I should be does that make that sense that makes sense to me you know you brought up the piano twice and I I don't want this podcast to end without me being able to ask this question you know Sana sings you sing, Rhea sings, like talk to me about the relationship to music in your family. Like, why is it so important to you guys? Oh man, music is life, my friend. Music is absolute life. You know what? As a, as a youngster, uh, one of my, the only picture I have of myself as a secondary student, well, I don't have that picture, but a, a mate of mine does, 
only picture that 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 exists of me from that time is me acting in a school play, and I might have been about seven, eight, nine years old at that time. Uh, another fun memory I had of, of being in secondary school is 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 singing at a Mother's Day celebration. Uh, obviously, back then I sang because you know the girls liked it when you sang, and I, I wanted to impress the girls. Quite honestly, <laughs> that was that was the main motivation, but. You know what? I, I grew up in a very musical place, man. My mom was a great singer. My grandmother's a great singer. My grandfather was uh, a baritone with, with one of his groups in the 1950s. Uh, and so I, I grew up where singing was just a natural part of the culture in and around us. It it, it lent itself to just every time people get it, that, that, it, that was one of the, it was easy to, that was a, a natural fallback, right? Is a way that people communicated, a way that people shared laughter, a way that people shared their sorrows. Uh, and so as I grew up, when I left professional soccer, I'll be honest with you, I left professional soccer because I got injured. Uh, uh, I had a fractured hip and it, it cut my career short. And so I was still moderately young. I was in my early 30s, but I was I was so angry because I, I still had so many, so much more dreams that I wanted to achieve in soccer that I just couldn't. I was so angry. I was literally so angry that I, I I wanted nothing to do with the game. So I walked away. I started teaching high school. And, and uh, for a long time, I pretended that uh, Saka and I were just distant uh, relatives, man. We were enemies, so to speak, until uh, uh, an, an older lady who became a mentor of mine uh, discovered me on the internet and discovered that I'd played in all of these places. And and so the school was was looking for, the high school that I was at at the time was looking for a coach because if I had the coach uh, mid-season and was looking for a coach, and, and so she recommended me to the principal. So he called me to his office and asked me to take the team, and I refused. I refused about three or four times uh, until he pretty much said, listen, if, if you do it, then I'll, I'll, I'll hire a coach at the end of the season. Just do it for right now because we can't get anybody. But the second I started doing it, I kind of rediscovered a passion for it again. Uh, and so I stayed with that team and we won quite a bit and we had a great deal of success, but then probably about four or five years later, I started feeling kind of empty again. I felt like I, I wanted to do something beyond the game. And so I left Miami that I was in and then I went back to New York city and I became an actor. And so I, I, I was fortunate enough to, to have been on Broadway and off Broadway and, and do some wonderful, wonderful things. And I only wanted to do classical theater. Uh, but in New York City, the vast 99.9% of the roles were all musical theater. And I realized that if I wanted to survive as an actor, then I had to become a song and dance man, so to speak. Uh, and in doing it, it just opened up a, a completely different aspect or, or a portal, if you would, in 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 me. And I, I just, I truly enjoyed it. It was like one of the most... It was one of the best things ever, man, is, is just discovering these roles. I mean, Fiddler on the Roof uh, is, is, is classical theater, a classical Jewish theater through when it was written. Uh, and I, I became so enraptured with performing that role of Reb Tevye, who would sing as a, as a Russian Jew at the pogroms, you know, if I were a rich man. And the music appealed to me, the, the, the orchestration appealed to me. The acting appeal to me, and it is truly one of my great loves, man. So here I am, married a woman who's a fantastic opera singer who performs all over the world. 
And then we get together and we create this little mini beast who all she does is sing. <laughs> she doesn't talk. She just she sings all the time, 24-7 dance and musical theater, and theater is her life. So it's great. I love soccer. I love being around it. But people always ask me if if I get mad that my, my, my kids don't play soccer. And I'm like, absolutely not. I said I played enough soccer to last a lifetime. I don't live to. I certainly don't need to to live vicariously through anyone. Uh, but seeing my daughter on stage and seeing my wife on stage, that's a, such a, a welcome release for me. It takes me to a place where I just feel so comfortable and so happy, and I get a chance to see them performing because they're so good at what they do. Uh, I, I told my wife the last time I saw my daughter performing. I said, when I see. You guys performing is, is, is like I, I get in it. I get the opportunity to see the face of God, if that makes any sense. And, and, and seeing the face of God is really seeing the face of ecstasy and seeing the face of joy and seeing the face of oneness. It's such a spiritual and such a beautiful feeling. Uh, and I, I would not take that away from the world. So uh, who knows, man? I'm going to keep singing. Till I die, you know what? I got a one-man play that I've been writing for many years. Maybe one day I polish it out and go out there and perform it. But I love it. I absolutely love it. When you say it, it feels like you're seeing the face of God. What does that like feel like in your body? Like, tell us more about like that experience. You know what? It's 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 really it's 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 hard to put into words, right? But I guess if somebody would say that they feel. you know, when you say you see a face of God in the African-American tradition, you, you talk about being in the spirit where you feel complete oneness, complete joy. When you see somebody exercising themselves like that, you, you see a brightness. You see, a, a, you feel it. Yeah, there's a connection that you feel that you can't necessarily just put your hand on. But but you feel it. It's, it's a very tangible thing that you feel there. It's a, it's a measure of joy that you can't truly capture in words. And you see it on the, in the face of the person that's performing, and you feel that as a result. And so when I, I see my daughter performing, and I, I see my wife performing, I see them doing the thing that they're so most, that they so most love to do and so motivated to do and so driven to do that it, it, it gets all of them in that performance, right? It, they just don't do it halfway. It's not like just uh, uh, parts of themselves that's participating in 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 in, in that song and that dance. It's, it's everything. And so when we, I think when 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 we as human beings operate in that sense, we're operating in the way that 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 uh, God, if you if you would, uh, created us to be. So we're, we're really fulfilling the role, the mission, the pathway, the destiny that, that's being created for us. And so at that point, there's there's a certain luminance, there's a certain brilliance, there's a certain oneness, there's an alignment, a union that 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 you that you see, but you also feel. There's a warmness. Uh, I, and I'm using all of these words and, and I'm I'm quite uh, uh, I know for a fact that they're, they're really inadequate in terms of of painting what that feeling is like. Right, but it's it's just a it's a sense of 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 love. It's a sense of 
of beauty. It's a sense of it, where everything feels right in the world. It just feels so connected. Do you do you feel you know? like you found that as being a soccer coach? Like, do you feel like being a mentor to to young men is that for you? You know what? I asked my wife that the other day, man. I, I thought that my whole life, I think I've gotten it wrong. I think I spent my whole life chasing the game, wanting to play. And I think had I read the science earlier, I would have quit early and become a coach earlier. Now I'm in a phase where I think that uh, coaching is, is, is I don't want to say it's losing its appeal for me. That, that'd be wrong to say because I, I quite enjoy it. But I think my mission, I think coaching is how I mentor people, if that makes sense. Coaching is how I mentor people. But I think my ultimate goal or, or, or my ultimate, my, my, my ultimate, uh, I don't want to call it an aspiration, but, but the, the thing that, that I'm, I was meant to do, created to do is to mentor young people. And I don't necessarily have to be on a field to do it, right? And I think I've confused those two over the years because I think uh, it was easy to fall into this or it was easy to become a teacher because I was just, I was really, I'm passionate about helping young people discover their sense of self, right? And then when I fell into coaching, I, obviously I love the game and I love helping players in the game. So I, I would think that most people will think, okay, yeah, he's a great soccer coach and he's good at doing that. But when I when I look at it from an overall perspective, I mean, I have a lot of relationships with with with, with a lot of uh, young people that that are not necessarily who are not necessarily athletes, and and those relationships are as satisfying to me as the ones as, as the ones that I have with athletes, and 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 the thing that's in common there is that I enjoy the, the give and take of that relationship. I enjoy learning from them. I enjoy borrowing from their energy, which keeps me young. It keeps me engaged. It keeps me fresh. And at the same time, they could benefit from some of my experiences because I could help guide them and help them navigate some of the challenges and the obstacles that I know that they're going to face and make it easier for them. All right? So I, I think it's, it's, it's a natural transition. Me walking away ultimately from coaching in probably the next few years but then embracing a wider mission of, of really getting out and speaking to young people across all backgrounds and spectrums and, 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 and careers and all of these different things and really just connecting with them and, and, and helping them create pathways for their own personal success. Tell me, most of the people who listen to this podcast are people 21, 22, 23, recently graduated from college or in college. And one of the, uh, one of the biggest things that we struggle with is this sense of feeling like we're in limbo when we graduate from college, like we don't know what to do next. We don't know where our lives are going. Talk to, talk to that subset of young people. What would you say to them? But you know what? It's, 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 it's easy to feel like that, right? Especially when we live in a society where it seems like everybody has this shit figured out. Uh, you know, you look in social media and everybody has these perfect lives, uh, so to speak. You know, or seemingly, it, it seems like it and everything is perfect. Uh, everybody else seems to be driving a nice car and the vacation in the spots. And if, if you're not careful, you could be tricked into putting a lot of pressure on yourself that you really shouldn't. I actually think the best approach is to be patient with it because I think if, if, if you're patient with that, uh, I think the, the if you're patient with yourself, I, I think you give yourself an opportunity to discover who you truly are. 
What I mean by that is this. I think going to school arms you with particular skills that you could use in a job, but I don't think going to school in college in, in, in this instance really teaches you about you, right? If you go to uh, many of the temples in Egypt, in Africa, uh, right above the doorway to the temples, there's a sign that's written in hieroglyphics in Metruneta which says, man, know thyself. And I think that's probably the most important piece of advice that I would give to any young person is to know yourself. Because what, And what I mean by knowing yourself, right? Know, know what drives you. Know what, 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 what activates your passion in your life. What are your true interests are, right? Because if you have a strong sense of self, you're not going to be pushed or swayed easily by the opinions of other people who are going to say, listen, I truly believe, you know, they're going in, in, in direction A when everything about who you are suggests that you should go in direction B, right? So if you have a really strong sense of self, your strong sense of your values, of your spirituality, and I think cultivating that is more important than anything else, uh, understanding what means, uh, 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 so I'll give you an example, probably make it easier. If somebody asks me, what is, does knowing myself mean? I'll say it, it tells me, it informs me about who I am, what types of, of, of and, and, and knowing who I am fundamentally lets me know that what kind of things that I should be interested in. So I, I, I'm passionate about people, young people especially, and helping, young, and, and, and helping them to find their pathways. So I'm obviously not going to choose occupations that's going to take me away from doing the thing that I'm best at doing or the thing that, that I'm most motivated or passionate about doing, regardless of whatever money is involved, right? So if you could offer me a, a million dollars to do something that's going to take me away from that, to sit in an office someplace and, 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 and not have that level of connection that I have, or you offer me 50000 to do precisely what I'm doing now, chances are, I'd be honest with you, I'm going to take 50000 right? Because I understand that I'm not going to mortgage the price of, of, of my passion or the price of my happiness simply because of more money, right? So when I talk about understanding who you are, understanding what your values are, understanding what your gifts are, what am I uniquely gifted at doing? What, what, what skills do I, do I naturally possess that I, can, I could put out into the wider world that could benefit others and would also benefit my own life, right? I think too much young people, well, people in general, because I'll be honest with you, people over 40 and 50 do the same thing. They listen too much to other people, and, and then they get pushed and, 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 and swayed in so many different directions. I'm at that stage in my life now. I have a pretty strong sense of self, and so I don't really care too much about what others say because I'm listening to my own direction that's coming from inside. And I think if, if young people like yourself could do that, then you wouldn't feel so much in limbo, right? You'd be more patient with yourself because you understand that uh, uh, yourself is that, that part of you is always unfolding and always unraveling. And there's more to you that, that, that will always come to the surface. And, and it's a great thing to really be in touch with that because it'll help, it'll help you to navigate things really easily. And you won't have to worry about falling victim to the praise and opinions of other people. Could you talk about, you, you know, you're about, at a point in your life where you have you know, a strong sense in self, you, you don't feel like you care too much about the opinions of other people. How, how can we expedite that process? For you, what was necessary for you to get to that point? Uh, study and travel. Two very important things, study and travel. 
uh, I, 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 I always say that I, I don't think that young people read a lot nowadays. Obviously, you've got a lot of different types of media at your disposal. So I don't think reading is the only thing that you should do. But I think reading is a, a very necessary aspect of it. So I studied many, uh, uh, I studied the behaviors and biography and the lives of, of other great people. And I listened to them and I, I listened and I, I read about their struggles and I read about their successes and I read about the obstacles that they faced. I read about how they overcame and I read about what resources they were able to utilize. And then, because what that did is then help me to identify what were some of the struggles in my own life, what were some of the, the obstacles that I was facing and what were some of the resources that I had at my immediate disposal to be able to help to rectify that situation. So that was important. Uh, and so I read some fantastic books, fantastic books. Uh, there's a great book right now, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's by Robert Greene. I want to say the book is called I've read Mastery. It. It's a great book. Right? Uh, Mastery is, 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 and I read similar books uh, like Mastery. There's another book called The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes. It was written probably about 100 years ago or close to about 100 years ago. It was one of those books that was just so important. Read the autobiography of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King and many of these other great statesmen and stateswomen. That really gave me a sense of not only identity, but again, I was able to see my own life in, in the footsteps of these others. And then I was able to create my own pathway, not so much by following them, but by using their process to discover what my own process is and then come up with solutions to my thing. Right. So I thought that was one. So I, I certainly think that more young people should study in like that. Two. I traveled. I traveled a lot. I've traveled to, to so many countries now, and I've made friends uh, in, in, in places that are, are so different and so unique. But in engaging with people from different cultures, it gives me different ideas and different perspectives that's broadened my own horizon and given me new opportunities and looking at things where, where perhaps maybe I was only looking at it from one perspective, right? So... Uh, going to the Middle East and going to Africa and going to Latin America and the Caribbean and, and to Europe and having friends all across the world who, who operate in a different sense, who have different solutions to, to, to some of the problems that we'd face in common. All of those things are just hugely important because it also helped me to, to realize that in many cases, the things that I thought I was suffering from, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't alone in that. Right, there are other people who had gone through precisely many of the same things and, and emerge uh, on the other side uh, with with a certain degree of of calm and composure, and, and I wanted to have that as well. And so I, I studied them and 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 I fellowship with them and I, I I hung out with them and 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 party with them and and broke bread with them, and all of those things helped to to create a, a sense of of, of purpose. Uh, and it helped me to look at at at, at everything that I face in a, in a multifaceted way rather than just one narrow perspective, right? Being raised in Brooklyn, New York, I could have looked at it strictly from there, or I could kind of open my my perspective and, and and have a more expansive view, and then look at it from many different perspectives. And so, and then then that then uh, kind of enables me to to then come up with with multiple kind of uh, solutions, which for me has worked. Quite well. I think that makes a lot of sense. Study and travel. 
I want to ask one more question before we get off the podcast. And it has to do with something that you used to say a lot when I was younger, which was never get too high and never get too low. And you brought it back up earlier on in the podcast when you talk about the, the message that you give to your team after a win or a loss. It's very simple. Never get too high, never get too low. Yep. Talk to me about why that matters. Yeah, because then you'd be on a seesaw, right? If you're on this emotional roller coaster, and that's essentially what it would be. It's emotional roller coaster. You, you never develop the the, the kind of, of of aptitude or the skill necessary to to make a cool, calm, collected decision, right? We know for a fact that most uh, uh, reasoned, sound, intelligent decision making cannot be made in in moments of panic. In moments of chaos, it requires a certain measure of cool, of composed uh, uh, type behavior. It, it requires a level head. It requires you being able to breathe out and relax and see things from a multi kind of faceted perspective uh, rather than just losing the plot all at once and, and, and feeling sorry for yourself. So. I always wanted you guys to to feel satisfied with the effort that you put in, right? So back then, that Strike Force team it was such a wonderful team because you guys worked so hard. But my current team here at the college, I mean, these guys they, they don't make mistakes. They'll make maybe a mistake in terms of execution, but it would never be a mistake for for lack of of, of trying or lack of of drive or lack of, of any of those things because they always work so hard. And so when you work that hard, uh, you, you have to realize that this is a game that we play. And sometimes there's so many different variables that could affect uh, the win-loss record part of it or that could affect the success of any particular game. You can do everything right and still lose. If, if you realize that that could happen, you also have to be patient with yourself when you realize that you've done every single thing that you could have done. Right. So when you guys used to work that hard to secure a victory, just like this current team works so hard, you have to be you got to be gentle with yourself, because uh, I think the flip side of that is is you just beat yourself up. And when you beat yourself up, then I think it snowballs and it continues to snowballs. And if you're not careful, then it begins to affect your preparation for the next game that's coming. And so you go into that game, relive in the past. And then you keep making mistake after mistake after mistake again. And so I think the best thing to do is to wipe the slate clean, stay calm, wipe the slate clean, learn the valuable lessons that you should have learned, and take those lessons and move them forward so you don't repeat those same lessons again, and you can have the kind of success that you want, right? And I think that's that's applicable in, in soccer. This also the true in life, right? Life, one thing that we know, about life is that it is is truly unpredictable. I think when I was younger, I think life was going to be fair. Life was going to be predictable in ways that was going to make it easy. And as I get older, I realize that life is anything but. Life is anything but, right? So it's always going to throw these curveballs at you. I mean, a major curveball for, for me and my family last year is my mom dying from cancer. Uh, and unfortunately, there's, there's probably a curveball that we're going to continue to deal with for a very long time. Uh, but I also remember your grandmother, who was very, very nice to me. She was my realtor at, 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 at points. Uh, 
And, and I know she also had her own personal battle that she had to, to go through with cancer. And I know how your family had to, to kind of navigate that as well. Uh, you know, it, it sounds cliche, but life and, 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 and death is, is, is part of the spectrum that we live in. And, and, and so, I mean, as, as much as it pains me with the passing of my mother and still kind of continues to pain me, I, I've got to remember as, as, uh, as some of my, my other relatives say that, you know what, that there are other people that are here now that's living, that's dependent on me. So I just can't, it's, it's very hard. You, you can't lose yourself in, in who's gone, but you still got to remember that you remember them, but you also got to live for who's here as well. Right. So it's, it's about balancing your perspective so that you just don't get lost in a shuffle that you don't just get, uh, you don't feel overwhelmed. You don't feel pressed. You don't feel just like you can't deal with it all. I think when you have that kind of perspective, the one that you could just take the lessons and move forward, I think that works better for you in the long run. It's less heartache involved. Yeah. It's more structured. It's more process. Uh, and, and I think ultimately it, it, it ultimately leads you to the type of success that you'd like to have. Yeah. And I think for me, bringing up both yeah, of those examples, in those extreme cases of life, that's when the, that's when the model really matters the most. Never get too high, never get too low when the worst things happen. And especially even when the best things happen, what I take away from that statement so much is like, even when life is going great, like you said, life is unpredictable and things can change at any moment. And we really have to find a way to stay calm, cool, and collected no matter what happens. It, it, it always do. It always do. You know, I, I, I almost, I, I say this as well. A lot of times I said, uh, imagine, and, and, and hopefully I'm, I'm not taking, I want people to think that I'm taking, uh, religion or, or Jesus or in, in, in sacrilege, but I want people to imagine, right? I mean, imagine you're Jesus. You're riding into Jerusalem. There are people on either side of the street waving palms and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes our Lord. And they're very happy. And then in the twinkling of an eye, that changes. And they say, well, no, we don't want this dude. Give us Barabbas. Give us the thief, right? If you're going to spare anybody, yeah, send this guy to the cross, but give us the thief. Give us Barabbas. So I was like, man, how, how do you go from, from this height where, where people acknowledge you and, and they're really happy and they're really great and they love you, and then two seconds later, everybody hates you and they want this other guy who, who just doesn't have the character. He's a scoundrel. He's a thief. He's that, but that's the guy they want, right? So when 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 whenever... I'm always careful when people, you know, come up and say, oh, man, God, coach, you're fantastic. I say, thank you. When people say, oh, man, coach, you're horrible. I say, thank you. My approach just never changes because at the end of the day, I'm not dependent on other people's opinion about who I am and what I do. And I think that's a skill that you got to develop over time. I'm fully cognizant of that. Uh, I, I carry no egos about it. I know for a fact when I feel like I've made some mistakes and I need to put my hand up or, or have some man in the mirror time and say, dude, you need to pick up your slack. And I know for a fact when I've done some great things and I can feel that within myself or I, I can see people benefiting from some of those decisions. So it's, it's, it's easy to balance that out. Well, coach, I've really, really, I've so much, I, I love the time that we've spent together over the past hour. I've learned so many things about you that I didn't know. And I think you've provided a lot of value to my audience that I'm really glad that we are able to do this. Um, thank you so much for your time. 
No, it's my pleasure, Bob. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure. And, and I think the, the most rewarding part of this to me is that it's funny enough, right? This weekend, I just happened to be scrolling across social media and I saw Nikita Jacobs, Tristan Jacobs, little sister who plays, I believe, at, at, at Bowling Green. Uh, and Nikki used to play for so you guys with Strike Force, my boys' team, and she was on she Strike was Force, the girls' team. Oh, she's very good. I, all of you guys are very good. And I loved those both teams. I loved, loved those teams. And I loved you guys as young people because you guys were just so much. You, it's, it's funny because I never really regard uh, those teams as you guys are part of my family. That's, that's kind of how I looked at it because you guys were with me for such a long time. Uh, but when I, I saw I saw a picture of Nikki and it just it, it just stirred up so much warm feeling for me, and then uh, I scrolled across and University of Detroit University of Detroit uh, played against uh, University of Michigan, and two of my former center midfielders from the Strike Force team, Marky Barra uh, uh, and Colin Cavanaugh, is facing off against each other, and and somebody got a picture of both of them at the precise time in midfield playing against each other, and I felt so happy just seeing uh, those two guys live out their dreams and their potential. And in the same way, I see you making your own strides in the world with your podcast, with your dance, and with all the things that you have planned. And I'll be honest, I, I, that makes me feel so happy. It's, it, it, it means more to me than anything else. It's funny. I always say that I borrow energy off of young people. And when I see you guys succeeding, it, it actually inspires me. It gives me a sense of energy, a sense of purpose. It gives me life. You know, I mean, everybody around me now is called me the old guy. And, and yeah, I'm probably on the other side of 50 pretty soon, but I don't feel like that. And when I see you young people just doing what you do and living your life, it just empowers me. Uh, in, in ways where it's uh, funny now it's, it's like the students are coaching the coach now, right? If that makes sense. And the relationship just matures over time. I think one of the coolest things over the past year, as we've talked a little bit on Instagram is, you know, my ability to like give you advice about things and give back for all the things that you taught me. And one, one thing that makes me really happy as I'm sitting here and thinking about all those names, Mark Yabara, Colin Cavanaugh, Damon Gilbert, you know, I, uh, I can't wait to share this podcast with all of those people because I think they're, they're going to want to listen and they're going to want to learn more about you and what you're up to because you've yeah. left a, you've left a, a an, such a deep impact on, on all of our lives through, through being with us and coaching us for those four or five or six years. Yeah. And you guys did the same for me and you still do, man. Every time I look up and see you guys do something really great, I just feel so happy. I feel so, so happy.